Good evening, brothers and sisters and visitors. I am President Matthew Miller. I'll be hosting our Living Faith discussion here tonight. As a state presidency, we realized that over half of the revelations in Doctrine and Covenants comes from Kirtland, and so we needed to find an expert on Kirtland, and we have found that in Carl Ricks Anderson, who we are so thrilled and excited. It is 10 o'clock his time on the East Coast as he lives in the area of Kirtland and has been for quite some time. So we are thrilled and honored to have him. Carl Ricks Anderson is affectionately known as Mr. Kirtland. Throughout the church, because of his love, research, and writings on Kirtland, Ohio area, church history, he has lived near Kirtland, Ohio for the past 50 years. Carl has worked with historians and prophets, including taking the last six prophets on a guided tour through Kirtland. He has written books, including Joseph Smith's Kirtland and the Savior in Kirtland. He has helped acquire Kirtland properties and has done much to put Kirtland on the church history map. He received a bachelor's and MBA degree from the University of Utah. He has instructed thousands of visitors and dignitaries on site about Kirtland, and thousands have expressed their appreciation for his knowledge, enthusiasm, and famous laugh. Our family a few years ago had the privilege of being with him for an hour or two in the, in the second floor of the Newell K. Whitney store, and we were very appreciative of all that he had to share with us. His LDS church callings include service as a stake president, regional representative, area family history advisor, and patriarch. In all Carl has done, though, he has been blessed by the support of his wife, Joyce. They are the parents of seven children and 54 grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Brother Anderson, we'll turn the time over to you. Wonderful. It is uh, wonderful to be with all of you. The, the, the wonders of technology uh, enable uh, all of you to come to Kirtland. And uh, uh, it's just, uh, I wish we could just transport you, get in the car and uh, go out to Kirtland. I'm just uh, literally 15 minutes away from Kirtland. And uh, hopefully tonight, uh, uh, I, we will be able to see some of Kirtland and have you get a feel of the spirit of Kirtland. Uh, I call Kirtland the holy ground of our dispensation. And uh, I'm just working with technology here uh, to get my PowerPoint up. Uh, and here we go. Uh, this takes just a second, but uh, uh, this will enable you to, uh, to feel like you're here, and we'll show you a few things from Kirtland. And so uh, I don't know if the, the first uh, slide is up yet, but uh, uh, it should be in just a second if it isn't up now. But this is a, a shot of our uh, near our visitor center in Kirtland with the sun coming through the trees. Uh, Kirtland uh, is, was called by the Lord Shinha, which means light. And I think it is the light of the Savior that makes Kirtland. Uh, in church history, uh, we have kind of a traditional view that I grew up with. And I may be a little older than uh, most of the participants here tonight. Uh, and maybe it's just, uh, it's 10 o'clock my time that I'm feeling a little older. <laughs> but at any rate, when I was young, and as I've grown up, that the view of church history uh, from all of our sites really is that we were established in New York, uh, we received the Book of Mormon. Joseph translated it. We received the priesthoods there. We came to Kirtland and somehow built the Kirtland Temple and then went to Nauvoo where everything else happened before the church left to go to Salt Lake. Uh, however, what we have come to find out about uh, church history sites is that it's as if a cloak of obscurity was placed over Kirtland. Uh, and uh, Kirtland hasn't been understood or known uh, in church history until recently, when the restoration's taken place. Uh, President Hinckley 
dedicated our sites in 2003 and, and people are now being drawn to Kirtland and we're discovering that the church was headquartered longest in Kirtland before we went to Salt Lake. We spent more of a, uh, it, we were here longer than anywhere, uh, longer than Nauvoo, longer than New York after we were established. Uh, in addition, uh, we find that Joseph Smith uh, lived here more of his adult years than any other location. Uh, there were more revelations that came here. Uh, about half of the revelations in the Doctrine and Covenants, uh, more events of major restoration significance took place here in Kirtland. And of course, unprecedented spiritual manifestations uh, occurred here during our Kirtland years. Uh, trying to understand the land of Kirtland, uh, and uh, although we refer to Kirtland, it's not the city of Kirtland, because there are other locations, such as Hiram, where the Johnson home is. And the Lord in Revelation is often referred to Kirtland as the land of Kirtland or the Ohio. And there were three purposes for Kirtland in my experience. One, I, uh, I classify Kirtland as our organizational period. Two, Kirtland was our teaching period. And then three, Kirtland really was our Pentecostal period. Uh, for example, uh, we've been taught to say the church was organized on April 6th of 1830 in Fayette, New York, where uh, the organization really took place in Kirtland. Uh, a better term for what happened on April 6th of 1830 was that we were founded or we were established as a church or created uh, legally, but really our organization really took place in Kirtland. For example, in 1833, our first presidency was formed. Uh, the Quorum of the Twelve in 1835, our multiple Quorums of the Seventy in 1835, our first stake in 1834 here in Kirtland, the first High Council uh, established at the same time the stake was. Our first patriarch was put in place here, at least the blessing, first patriarchal blessings were given here in 1833. Uh, our first bishop was called in 1831 and our first high priest in 1831. Uh, over the years, there have been some minor changes to that organization, but uh, now everything, everything in our church structure has returned to the way we were uh, organized during our Kirtland years. Uh, Kirtland, uh, in addition to the organizational period, uh, Kirtland really then became our teaching period. President Hinckley, love to refer to Kirtland as our teaching period. Uh, the elders that were being uh, sent out, the Lord said to them, you're not sent forth to be taught, but to teach. And then added, and ye are to be taught from on high. And that is a key distinction because in during our teaching period, Christ was literally the teacher. When we talk, when I label Kirtland as the holy ground of our dispensation, it's because of the Savior. Everything here was Savior-centered. Everything here was directed by the Savior. And so tonight, we'll kind of go through uh, this so that you can get a perspective uh, from the Savior's standpoint. Uh, for example, here, if we were to be uh, go to the Whitney store tonight, 
this is what you'd see. Uh, this is the revelation room. Joseph Smith called it either a translating room or a revelation room. Uh, the as Joseph would receive, as Joseph would translate, uh, then he would have questions and ask the Lord and receive revelation after revelation. Uh, during our Kirtland period, it was as if Joseph couldn't ask enough, revel enough questions uh, for the Lord to pour out revelation after revelation after revelation. Uh, to get a little bit of a feel for the process of Joseph receiving revelation, we have a wonderful uh, description that was left by William E. McClellan. And he said that the, the scribe would seat himself at a desk or a table, uh, and Joseph would sit next to him. So here you see illustrated in the Whitney store, uh, at a table, which is reputed to be Joseph Smith's table in Kirtland, one of our local historical societies gave it to us on loan uh, because uh, it, their records had, had it labeled as Joseph Smith's table. Uh, you see the desk right behind it to the right. And so uh, on the table, you can see pen, ink, and paper. And McClellan said, and let me just put this up so you can get the feel of it. He sets himself at a desk or a table and with pen, ink and paper ready and then the subject of inquiry being understood. The prophet and revelator inquires of the Lord. Therein lies an important principle uh, because you can picture Joseph and his scribe uh, as they're translating the Bible, which was their job during the early period, of the early part of the Kirtland period, you can see Sidney, who is a Bible expert, uh, pausing as they read the Bible and point out where different churches uh, uh, varied or interpreted scripture in different ways. And so uh, what would happen is that they, they would formulate a question. And then, uh, according to McClellan, Joseph would uh, obviously inquire, and then he would spiritually see, hear, and then feel the answer, and then speaks as he's moved upon by the Holy Ghost, the quote, thus saith the Lord, uh, revelation, sentence after sentence. And then he waited for his uh, amanuensis or his scribe to write and then read aloud each sentence. And he said, thus they proceeded until the revelator says, amen. Uh, the principle being that Joseph would go to the Lord I don't know of any revelations where Joseph was walking down the street and the Lord taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, I have a revelation for you. It was always Joseph going to the Lord. Uh, a, a number of years ago, President uh, Nelson visited Kirtland and we visited various sites and I would point out some of the questions that Joseph would ask to receive some of our revelation. And he stopped me and he said, well, Carl, you understand the principle, don't you? And of course, I thought I did, but I have learned that when I'm in the company of one of the brethren, I always say, please teach me, which I was glad I did because he said, there's a principle, and he, he enunciated that principle, and he said, the Lord can only teach an inquiring mind. So it's more than just asking a question, and I've always been indebted to President Nelson because that principle is that we have to put our minds 
in a pondering state, in an inquiring state, in order for the Lord to respond and teach us. Well, uh, as we look again at the teaching period, Christ literally was our teacher and Joseph Smith's teacher. Uh, let's look at, at some of the thing scripture that comes out of Kirtland. For example, uh, nearly half of the Doctrine and Covenants uh, comes out of Kirtland. Uh, the Bible translation, virtually all completed, except a few chapters in uh, the Book of Moses. Uh, the Book of Abraham, of course, uh, translated by Joseph here. Uh, uh, and, and he received the papyrus scrolls from Michael Chandler. And then uh, he, uh, during a six-month period, he worked on it and then went to Nauvoo and probably did a little more work. But the Book of Abraham and the scrolls and mummies come here. And then the Book of Mormon, our second edition, comes in Kirtland. So every one of our scriptures uh, were impacted by Kirtland. Uh, it was also the Pentecostal period. Uh, this is a name that Joseph Smith gave Kirtland. He said it was a Pentecost and an endowment long to be remembered. And he said, the occurrences of this day will be handed down upon the pages of sacred history uh, to all generations as uh, the, uh, the day of Pentecost and a year of Jubilee and time of rejoicing. Well, uh, Pentecostal, the Pentecost is not a term we use today. Essentially, uh, it was the day, the, it was related to the day of Pentecost in the New Testament. Uh, Pentecost, of course, a Jewish holiday that fell 50 days after the Passover when the apostles were gathered together and the Holy Ghost descended and with all of the spiritual manifestations. And that's kind of the name I give to the word Pentecostal, which is, is massive spiritual uh, 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 experiences, manifestations. Uh, those manifestations here in Kirtland uh, began with deity. Uh, nowhere else in our early church history were the Father and the Son more manifest than here in Kirtland. Uh, for example, uh, the Savior appeared 11 times to Joseph Smith here in Kirtland. Uh, and uh, people uh, who visit here are most generally stunned at this. And I often tell groups that I talk to here, if you were to go back uh, into your ward Sunday schools or quorum meetings and say that you had come from Kirtland, and had learned that there were 11 times the Savior appeared, what would be the reaction? Uh, it's one of disbelief because we haven't been educated to understand that. Uh, in, uh, in addition to that, the Father and Son appeared seven times to Joseph Smith, just here in Kirtland. Uh, I have a, uh, a friend who came to Kirtland uh, and I was sharing these statistics with him. And he said, no, you just don't understand. He said, uh, uh, the, the, an appearance, he said, those were not appearances here in Kirtland. And then he said what most members of the church have learned to, to believe. And that is that there was only one appearance uh, in the sacred grove. And so... I knew I had my work cut out for me. And he said, in Kirtland, they were visions. In the sacred grove, it was an appearance. Well, I explained to him that in my experience, Joseph Smith called them all visions. Uh, 
For example, when the Savior stood on the pulpits of the Kirtland Temple, there couldn't be any uh, better description than an appearance. But after Joseph, in recording that in section 110, said, after this vision closed, another great and glorious vision opened because Moses stood there. So I explained this to him. And he said, well, he said, it really was just in the sacred grove. So I said, well, uh, what, is, what is it we call it in the sacred grove? Do we really call it the first appearance? He said, no, we call it the first vision. And I said, why would we call it the first vision if there weren't more visions? <laughs> well, he said, I've never thought about it that way. He said, I, I guess I have to conclude that what happened in Kirtland was analogous to what happened in the sacred grove. And uh, the church has not really been taught uh, that. And uh, when we call a vision, for example, in the, in the sacred grove, Joseph Smith was taught. Well, in Kirtland, we had even greater teachings uh, than, than what he learned in the sacred grove because he wasn't prepared to receive the teachings that he received here in Kirtland. For example, section 76 of the Doctrine and Covenants is often called Joseph's greatest vision because of its nature. Uh, Joseph uh, was literally taken on a tour of eternity. Uh, if we look at section 76, we look at who the tour guide was. And Joseph and Sidney wrote that, that it was the Savior with whom or whom we saw and with whom we conversed in the heavenly vision. And so Joseph and Sidney literally were taught by conversing with the Savior uh, in, in the Johnson home here in Hiram. And uh, we learned that uh, Sidney Rigdon talked about the length of the vision, and he said that, that it lasted for hours. Just think of it lasting for hours. As members, we oftentimes call the section 76 the vision of the three degree, degrees of glory without understanding the scope. Joseph Smith, later in life, said that they saw three things, but it wasn't limited to the three, the three degrees of glory. He said, we saw first everything that was, second, everything that is, and third, everything is yet to be. So where did Joseph learn the plan of salvation? He learned it by Actual, actually having a vision of the creation of the earth, the council in heaven, we see described. And we see evidences as we read section 76 of the voice that com communicated with them throughout the vision. And they saw everything was, is yet to be, and uh, just think of that learning experience for Joseph Smith. And so when he taught, he taught what the Savior had taught him and shown him. Section uh, 110, we see the instruction that the Lord gave him. Section 137, the instruction after seeing the celestial kingdom, we see Joseph being instructed as to uh, children being saved in the celestial kingdom, uh, etc. And so here in Kirtland, literally, we have, uh, uh, President Ballard once said, it was as a heaven was walking there with Joseph and the people. Elder Maxwell visited Kirtland at one time, and uh, uh, I had the privilege of associating with him, uh, got on his bus with his family, he had all his children and grandchildren. And at the end of the day, 
after we'd visited the sites and discussed things that had happened, he gave me an assignment and he said, he made this statement, there is a mother load of Christology in Kirtland that has never been mined. He said the church doesn't understand this mother load of Christology. <laughs> a wonderful phrase, certainly as a Maxwellism, isn't it? But he gave me, he said, you are to write another book. I had written one book on Kirtland, The Savior in Kirtland. Excuse me, Joseph Smith's Kirtland. But he said, you're to write another book. And he said, don't be in a hurry. But he said, I want you to research and mine everything that you can find in Kirtland that pertains to the Savior. And then he said, let it percolate. And then when it's ready, uh, I want you to have it printed. Well, his mistake, he told me, don't be in a hurry. And so 17 years later, <laughs> one morning, my Joyce, my dear wife, <laughs> kicks me out of bed and says, you better get that done. <laughs> Are you going to meet him before you want to? <laughs> well, uh, we, we concluded it and it was printed uh, and it was my best stab at identifying the, what pertained to the Savior here in Kirtland. Uh, and that was one of the one, most wonderful periods of my life was when I was going through this process. Uh, Deseret Book printed it. And so, some of the things that I found in trying to identify the Christology, there were 23 people at least that saw the Savior. Uh, in researching this, I tried to be very careful with documentation. And uh, I limited this to those where we could find specific evidence and documentation of people who saw Christ. No question that this is just the tip of the iceberg. For example, uh, George Q. Cannon, who is a member of the First Presidency, in the late uh, 1800s uh, gave us talk about the savior appearing to Joseph and Oliver in the Kirtland temple. And he said they weren't the only two. He said there were hundreds who saw the savior. Uh, another thing that came out, five people uh, were privileged to see both the savior and our heavenly father. There were hundreds of secondary witnesses who saw the glory and felt the power, but didn't see the vision itself. For example, in section 76, uh, there were at least uh, 12 additional men who sat in the room. And uh, one of them said, we saw the glory and we felt the power, but we didn't see it. This is somewhat similar to Paul on the road to Damascus. When the Savior appeared to Paul, those who were with him, again, they didn't see the vision, but they saw the glory surrounding that vision. Uh, we have Christ bearing testimony of himself over 12 times. Here at a time, we need the Savior. Here he's born witness of himself, but the world doesn't understand it. I have determined there were more first-person words of the Savior that went to the world from Kirtland than any other time in the history of the world. Uh, Christ taught his full plan of salvation in his own words. Uh, and our Father's words testified of Christ over six times. Well, again, these are only uh, things that are only the tip of the iceberg. If we can appreciate the Savior teaching in Kirtland, for example, he gives us assurances that we can trust him. And just some of the phrases that he spoke to Joseph Smith 
and Joseph recorded that are words of the Savior directly. For example, he said, I fulfill what I promise. I cannot lie. My words are sure and shall not fail. <laughs> we wouldn't want to take promises in the, in the doctrine and covenants or the gospel and then get up to heaven and, and <laughs> the Savior said, well, I was just kidding. <laughs> but he assured us that he can't lie. His words are sure. Know that I'm God and me there's all power. I'll fight your battles. I am Jesus Christ, who knoweth all things. Just picture these saints in Kirtland who'd sacrificed everything to come to Kirtland. And then the Savior giving them these assurances that they didn't make a bad decision. And that it was the Savior leading them. They knew it wasn't Joseph Smith who led them. They recognized Joseph's language. These words are not Joseph Smith's language. They knew that it was the Savior leading them because he taught them directly. Look at these comforting personal assurances. Even for today, I hear your prayers. I know your hearts. Here's the Savior talking to us. Your desires have come up before me. I, the Lord, am merciful. I'm gracious. I will lead you along. I'll watch over you. Fear not, for you are mine. Uh, in addition to that, uh, he assures us, I've not forsaken you. I'll have compassion on you. I'm with you and I'll stand by you. I'll go before your face and be on your right hand and your left. Mine angels will be round about you to bear you up. I will watch over you. I'm in your midst and you cannot see me. These wonderful statements of the Savior, how critical they were to these saints in building their faith as they struggled to build the Kirtland Temple, as they struggled to go on missions, as they left families to go out on missions, uh, make the sacrifices that they were required to make. Why did they do it? It wasn't because of Joseph Smith. They loved Joseph. They recognized him as a prophet, but they did it because they knew the Savior, they trusted the Savior, they had his promises. Uh, I've talked about uh, stand ye in holy places. In Kirtland, uh, Kirtland is really made holy because I think the Savior has stood in those places and been in those places. For example, in the Old Testament, we find the Savior appearing to Moses and then instructing him that he's to remove the shoes from off his feet because the ground upon which he stood was holy or sacred. I'm simple enough in my belief to know that wherever the Savior appears, is holy ground. We feel it when we go to the sacred grove. I cannot go into sacred rooms in Kirtland and sacred places without feeling that. There were four locations in Kirtland where the father and son both appeared. One was up on the beautiful Isaac Morley farm. Uh, at the top of the hill, there was a little log schoolhouse. The first high priests were ordained there. And as they were being ordained, the father and son appeared and three of the brethren bore testimony. Joseph Smith said uh, uh, that uh, he, he said, let them kill me, meaning the enemies of the church. I could not feel death as I am now uh, and testified that he saw the father and the son. Uh, the next, and this was a, an illustration, Frank Thomas, a Utah artist, has made this beautiful uh, 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 painting of, of what that little log schoolhouse might have been like. The next is the historic John Johnson home out in Hiram. 
where Joseph lived a year, he received 16 revelations. Uh, and there in that, uh, and this is where section 76 came. And of course, in that revelation room, which you now see, uh, he bore witness. He lives, for we saw him, even on the right hand of God. And we bear, written, bear uh, witness that we heard the voice bearing record that he is the only begotten of the Father. And here's Sidney Rigdon. Sidney Rigdon made a wonderful statement. He said, there we talked and wept. Can you picture in this room, Sidney and Joseph, uh, they were both tarred and feathered out there as they faced opposition. This was their sanctuary. Sidney said, we talked and wept and prayed and angels ministered unto us. And he said, the whole heavens opened unto us. These were rewards, not only just rewards for their sacrifice and faithfulness, but teaching them eternal principles. Had the savior teaching who he was. The Whitney store in Kirtland, uh, here up in the School of Prophets room, this was really our first temple. It functioned as our first temple. And this tells actually more about the people than the temple, because we give our best to build temples. This was the best that people had. This was all they had. Uh, Levi Hancock was hired to create this room out of an open porch, apparently. And here, 22 to 24 brethren would meet and have experiences in seeing the Savior. For example, John Murdoch, Zebedee Coltrane, in this room both saw the Savior and gave descriptions of both the Savior and the Father that, who appeared in this room. Uh, and then, of course, the temple. Uh, Joseph, of course, as we talked about, said it was a Pentecost and an endowment. And the spiritual mag manifestations occurred at a magnitude perhaps we've only seen at Christ's birth and resurrection. For example, just look, look at the visions, one of God and Jesus Christ. They appeared four times in the temple together, the Savior many more times alone. Adam and Abraham were seen, Moses, Elias, and Elijah, Peter, James, and John, seven other past prophets. For example, concourses of angels. One uh, researcher said that claims that he has documentation that Joseph saw over 30 visions here during this Kirtland period. Look at spiritual manifestations. In the temple, they saw John, who joined in an anointing circle. 20 men watched Peter and John up to two hours. Uh, one early brother, Erastus uh, uh, Snow, said 12 legions of angels worshiped with the saints on one occasion. Angels on both sides joined in the Hosanna shout. Thousands of angels were seen inside and outside. The heavens opened. Some looked directly into heaven. In one meeting, 40 men communed with holy angels in one meeting. And that's the word they described, communing with them. Uh, on another occasion, angels entered the upper room in the temple and ministered to, and, to the man and then, according to one account, mingled their voices with 53 leaders for a half an hour. Just think of that experience. Angels apparently officiated in the upper rooms. Uh, for example, we have Brigham Young said that he looked in the room one time, no human was there, but he said that uh, there were 40 angels standing in a circle. They wore white robes and white caps, and no human was in the room. Uh, just think of these spiritual outpourings and manifestations that Joseph and these brethren received as assurances 
that Christ led the work and it was divine. When here's President Ballard, he said, when we think of Kirtland, we think that heaven was walking here amidst the people. And, and just looking at that, we can see it. Latter-day prophets have testified. For example, President Hunter said the feelings he had here in Kirtland, and I was privileged to be with him two days, he said, I've only felt in one other place in the world, and that was the Holy Land. President Benson was here five times, and he said, I feel I've been walking on holy ground. There is no other church history location more important than Kirtland. President Hinckley in the dedicatory prayer said, in no other area of the church was so much revelation received. No other place thy, was thy divine, thy beloved son so revealed the mortal man. In no other place was there such remarkable manifestations given to so many. President Nelson was here with President Hunter and he, in a meeting, he said, I honor Kirtland as a holy land. The Lord appeared often out of love to teach a better way of life. Well, uh, Kirtland, hallowed sacred ground. He said, President Ballard said at the end, it has been said we may yet discover that Kirtland's our most significant church history site. Well, the restoration of keys in the Kirtland temple, gathering of Israel by Moses, the gospel of Abraham, or the Abrahamic covenant by Elias, the power to seal, uh, ordinances and generations together by Elijah. And of course, here's President Hunter about the gathering of Israel. What is it? It means offering the gospel of Jesus Christ to God's children on both sides of the veil who have neither made crucial covenants with God nor received their essential ordinances. This covers both sides of the veil. And he said, it's the most important thing taking place on the earth today. There is nothing of greater consequence, absolutely nothing. When a prophet says there's nothing of greater consequence, we turn our attention back to the Kirtland Temple and those keys that were given to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery and this Latter-day Dispensation, the events there uh, here, absolutely nothing of greater consequence. At the conclusion of the visit of Moses, Elias, and Elijah, uh, Joseph, the Elijah told Joseph, therefore, the keys of this dispensation are committed into your hands. In section 93, which we're studying right now, right in uh, Preach My God, or, or in uh, Sunday school and our, our Quorum meetings, uh, we read in 93, the Lord said to Joseph, he assured him that the keys would never be taken from him while in this world, neither in the world to come. The keys rest with Joseph Smith. I love and I honor Joseph Smith. What he went through in his life is just unbelievable. For example, uh, with Joseph Smith, uh, he was chased out of four states with his family. Uh, he was jailed over 20 times, if you can imagine. What he had to put up with, he knew it was coming. He knew what the calling meant. In 1829, the Lord called the beginning of his ministry. The Lord says to him, if they do unto you as they've done unto me, blessed are you. <laughs> if I were Joseph, that wouldn't be a very heartening message to receive right up front in your, uh, when you're called to be a prophet. By the way, <laughs> little by the way, if they do to you what they did to me, blessed are you. He knew what was coming. The Lord said at least four times. He gave him hints of this. I've always looked at that and said, well, that means that Joseph knew he would die and be killed uh, because they did that to the Savior. 
But one of the insights that I've received is that he was telling Joseph more than that even. Uh, he was telling him, you're going to have to go through during your life what I went through, which was ridicule, which is false accusations, uh, which uh, is, uh, I mean, what, what both Joseph and the Lord had to go through with being uh, accused of things. For example, when Jesus healed the blind man, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not of God. And then they said to the blind man, we know this man's a sinner. They said, give that credit to God, but because we know that Jesus is a sinner. Well, that's what Jesus's life was, wasn't it? Being derided, being mocked. And, uh, and so if we look at... Uh, uh, the some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God. We know he's a sinner. And then look at Joseph Smith. He said, although, and in 42, and toward the end of his mission, although I do wrong, I do not the wrongs that I'm charged with doing. Look at the false accusations of Joseph throughout his life. Look at him today. I look at Kirtland. And a newspaper headlines labeled Joseph as an imposter. Uh, we have uh, men uh, the, like Eberty Howe. Uh, uh, we have men like Hurlbut, who went out and tried to solicit comments and publish them about how bad Joseph and his family was. Uh, and those things stuck. People wouldn't, wouldn't listen to Joseph because they believed the false accusations. What, what are we facing today? We're hearing all kinds of accusations about Joseph Smith. It's not only what he went through during his life, but it continues. And uh, I think that what the blind men said about the savior, we could almost talk about with Joseph Smith he answered the Pharisees. He said, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but the one thing I know, whereas I was blind, I now see. And, uh, and so as we look at Joseph Smith, all these false accusations, we have to look at what he gave us. We don't know about many of those. But what we do know is that he was the prophet of God. The keys he was assured by the Savior would rest with him, not only in this life, but in the world to come. We know what he gave the world, the, 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 the books of scripture, the words of the Savior, more words of the Savior. Those came because of what J Joseph Smith was able to do in receiving revelations with the printing press. Uh, we look at Joseph Smith, you cannot conclude anything else, but what he was literally a prophet of God. Uh, I know that and I bear witness of it. I, I feel for Joseph because on one occasion, I, I, this is, I can see myself doing this when Joseph was challenged by skeptics, and this is one of my favorite Joseph Smith quotes, Joseph Smith just got, I, I mean, he was frustrated and just blurted out. Well, when they asked him where he got what he got, he said, I have it from God. Get over it if you can. <laughs> I just love that because Joseph got it from God. It's God's work. It wasn't Joseph's work. Joseph wasn't head of the church. The Savior was head of the church. And just look at all of the evidences we have in Kirtland that sustain that. I bear witness of that, and I do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Thank you so much for that. It was wonderful to hear about the history and the miracles that took place. And you really did transport us back to Kirtland tonight. My name is Courtney Harrison and I am the state communications director. And I have a few questions for you tonight. The first one is why is the Kirtland experience, the temple, the sacrifice of the members and all that they went through, why is that so important to all of us today? Well, without it, uh, we wouldn't have uh, temples it's throughout the church. Uh, they've been closed because of COVID. Uh, we wouldn't have the, uh, the organization of the church if it wasn't for the Kirtland years. We wouldn't have the witness that Christ is head of the church. He stood in the temple. Uh, these people sacrificed everything they had to build the temple. And the Lord promised them that those who would make that sacrifice and prepare themselves would see the Savior in the solemn assembly. Uh, they prepared, they had ordinances of endowment, which we might term initiatory ordinances, probably, but they were given ordinances before they could go on missions, which those ordinances were gave them promises and spiritual protection as our ordinances in our temples give us they built that temple just so that they could get the keys and the authority and the instruction and those early ordinances uh, and we have letters from ww phelps to his wife and in one letter, he said, we've reached to her. He said, we've received an assurance that we can be together forever and be sealed together forever. And uh, in one of the letters, they receive the promises that we depend on and that give us spiritual strength. Thank you. We really truly have been blessed by those sacrifices that they made. Another question is, um, one of the major difficulties in Kirtland came with its Kirtland Safety Society led by Joseph, Joseph Smith and its eventual demise. Could you share some more insight into this event and why good members really struggled with this and what lesson we can learn from it? Uh, I think, uh, one, it was a failure. Uh, two, it wasn't Joseph Smith that made it a failure. Uh, uh, the saints were desperate to pay off debts. They had debts of $40,000 plus. And uh, banks existed all over this area in smaller towns in Kirtland and were a success. And Joseph was trying anything he could to, uh, to get money to make uh, money to pay off debts. Uh, when we look at the, the, uh, be, there, the, there was an economic collapse right in the middle of the bank when it was started. Enemies of the church wanted to get rid of the saints. The saints had taken political control. Literally, they outnumbered the, the non-members of the church and the uh, people that shared power were intent on getting Joseph Smith and the church out of Kirtland. And the, they used that uh, to go out and ask for specie and collapse the bank, which really happened. There were some members internally who uh, were not honest. And so it isn't Joseph Smith's fault. It wasn't, uh, we can't attribute that just to Joseph Smith. There are other factors that caused it to become a failure. And again, we have to look at the, our leaders of the church. We have to support them. And we can't say because one of them made a mistake or started something that failed that we're going to reject them spiritually and reject their leadership. Uh, uh, it wasn't Joseph Smith's fault that it failed. And I guess that would be the main point. Thank you for that insight. 
The next question is, in the years that you've lived near Kirtland, what developments of historic significance have you witnessed in the growth of the LDS Church and the Community of Christ Church? Wow. Uh, this is a tough one because I love our friends and brothers and sisters in Community of Christ Church. They have kept the temple uh, for us. Uh, they they have kept it in good. We wouldn't have the temple, was it not for their stewardship over the years? But uh, if we if we look at uh, the community of Christ Church, the size of it in our area has certainly diminished over the years. Uh, we had when we we came to Kirtland fifty years ago, and when we came we had one state that covered all of Northern Ohio. And today we look at that and we have uh, seven states that cover that same area. So I can say that we've grown uh, as a church. Uh, the Lord has plans for Kirtland. He's prophesied it'll be rebuilt and uh, and so we've we've flourished because of the blessings of the Lord. And I I don't want to do anything that would cast uh, any negative feelings toward Community of Christ. They are doing the best they can. They're our friends. They've maintained the temple. They've kept it. Would they invite us in? Uh, this year before COVID, uh, we had probably something in the order of 20 to 30 meetings of our youth, of members of our church that they allowed us to have in the temple. And they're truly uh, our brothers and sisters. I know that you've been a huge part of building that relationship with them in our church and we're grateful for you for all the time that you've put into that. One last question and then um, President Miller will wrap things up. Now you've spent many years in research and scholastic study centered on the years of the saints in Kirtland. How has this strengthened your personal testimony? Wow. Uh, I look at men and women who literally gave everything and sacrificed. Uh, I, uh, as, I, as I look at what they did, we would have failed as a church if Joseph Smith had tried to do the things that were done in Kirtland. The only way that could have succeeded is because of the Savior. You cannot look at the building the Kirtland Temple. What an impossibility. A small group of people to build the Kirtland Temple with no means, no money, uh, nothing no men, no workers. If I look at what went into building the temple, Joseph Smith didn't even know what a temple looked like. So, that, so the Lord said, okay, bring three before me and I'll show you. And the image of the temple comes before him. They look at it. They, it turns. They look at every detail on the inside. And so, okay, well, now I know what a temple looks like, but I haven't got any money. And so he goes, so the Lord said, oh, I'll take care of that. In a dream, he told John Tanner up in New York, the wealthiest man of the church. He had uh, probably $50,000, which is the equivalent of about a million and a half today. In a dream, he tells John Tanner, go to Kirtland. We need you there. The day before a bank's going to foreclose on a loan, Joseph sweating bullets and say, I need some send somebody. John Tanner knocks on the door, says, Well, I got maybe $50,000. Okay, what else, Joseph? What, what's the other? Well, we, we don't have an architect. The Lord says, No biggie. Go up and get Artemis Millet up in Canada. Brigham, you go up. He's not a member of the church. Well, then convert him. <laughs> He'll come down. And, and so here comes Artemis Millet. They don't have building materials. So the Lord says, okay, 
uh, Joel Johnson, you build a sawmill and there are plenty of trees. I, I had a lot of trees planted in Ohio. You just cut them down, send them to Joel Johnson, he'll cut them in his sawmill. But what else do, do you need? <laughs> well, we need land. We don't own the land. And so the Lord said, okay, well, go get John Johnson to sell his property out in Hiram and contribute him. And so it wasn't the people that built the church. It was the Lord that built the church. How can you not have a testimony when you see that they couldn't have done it alone? The keys, the angels, the visitations, nobody made that up. You look with Joseph Smith and people will say, well, I, I don't believe he was a prophet. I think those were just imaginations. Well, you got 23 men who with Joseph saw the Savior. You've got, uh, for example, two of them gave a detailed description of what the Savior looked like, even down to the fact he had blue eyes. Uh, you, you cannot conclude that the people built this church. The only answer is that the Lord did it. So what can we do other than have a testimony? that it was the Lord's work then. And the same thing today, you can't have, uh, you can't look at what's happened because man could not have built this church. It was the savior that built it. The evidences are staggering. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask one last question. I think our viewers would be interested in hearing a little bit about the story of Zebedee Coltrane there in that second in the School of the Prophets and his experience with um, Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father, what Joseph shared with him. Could you share that briefly? Oh, you bet. Uh, Zebedee Coltrane was given a gift, uh, was uh, hands laid on his head and a gift given him uh, to see visions. And uh, in the School of Prophets, uh, the day the first presidency was formed, uh, Joseph uh, told the brethren that they would, that many of them would see the Savior if they would kneel in prayer and, uh, and, and many other things. John Murdoch saw the Savior, Zebedee Coltrane, uh, bore this testimony. He was invited into Salt Lake when they re reassembled the School of Prophets in Salt Lake and asked to give this description of what happened in the School of Prophets. And he said after the Savior appeared, he saw Heavenly Father come, uh, uh, come into the room. And he looked at him and he said, I saw his eyes, nose, mouth, head and body described his feet his legs. And he said, uh, I saw it all. Uh, uh, and he said, the, the feeling went to the, to the marrow of my bones. And then he bore witness by saying, Joseph said, this was God the Father. And uh, here is coming out of Kirtland is a humble man who was given the gift of seeing visions, who literally saw God the Father in bodily form and bore witness of it. And that, that witness lasted throughout his whole life, him retelling that experience. Uh, incidentally, he said, I saw the Savior, and I suppose the others did. But what really made him focus was seeing the father. Brother Anderson, thank you. I know it's late there for you and late for our viewers and members here tonight. Uh, let me just close with um, just a couple of points that you've touched upon. Love how you've shared with us that the Lord um, can only teach an inquiring mind as taught by our prophet. And we're continually being taught by our prophet, President Nelson today to hear him. Um, I've always been amazed at how much Joseph was able to do in the short time he was here on this earth, but as you've shared with us this past hour, and as we read in Doctrine and Covenants 88, verse 73, the Lord says, Behold, I will hasten my work in its time. 
And you have certainly enlightened us to see that this is how Joseph got this done. The Savior, Heavenly Father, angels, and um, others were there to help him along the way, to be there by his side. And you've also shared with us the reassurances that the Savior goes before our face too. He'll always be there for us um, in the good and the bad times. But Joseph needed him um, in all these occasions and fortified and strengthened him, and he will do the same for us. Lastly, I think it's very fitting that as we go into this come follow me this next week, the very first verse reads in DNC 93, Verily thus saith the Lord, it shall come to pass that every soul who forsaketh his sins and cometh unto me and calleth on my name and obeyeth my voice and keepeth my commandments shall see my face and know that I am. Brother Anderson, we're big fans here in the Miller family. We have both these books and we've had a chance to read them. It's well documented. Um, these appearances. And so we're grateful for your scholarship in this. Um, but it reminds me that we can seek him and seek his face and seek to get to know him on a personal level and that he'll come and accompany us. And another truth that I live by is that to love another person is to see the face of God. So as our members of our stake and others reach out and help and love other people, it will be manifest the Lord's, the Lord's face and, and their lives and how we can help and lift them as we're kind and generous and thoughtful of others. And again, thank you so much for spending the time with us and um, leave this with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.